Hey, I'm Yannick Gwizdala. This is the Yannick Gwizdala podcast. On this episode, I catch up with an old friend, someone I met through Morgan Agron, the Swedish drummer, um, who I'm kind of figure would be a good guest to have on the podcast. Must try and make that happen. Note to self right there. But I met Tosin Abassi through Morgan Agron uh, on a record date, a very last minute record date project in LA um, several years ago. And we had an awesome time and we played all this improvised music and we, we made this record and we made a movie and then we've both kind of been super busy over the last couple of years haven't seen each other in a while um, i got to sit down and catch up with tosin and talk about music and about fitness and uh and touring and a little bit of gear and all, all kinds of so if you're new to the podcast if you've never listened before if you're a new subscriber um do us a huge favor if you like what you're hearing and you're listening on iTunes, go and leave us a comment or give us a rating. That really helps us spread the word, um, make the podcast a little more popular and, and make it possible for us to make great free content for you guys moving forward. Um, if you're a bass player, if you're a musician of any kind and you're looking for some inspiration to populate your practice routine and work on work on something new, improve your playing right away, you can go to store.yannickguizdala.com where there are books and DVDs and play-alongs and audio courses and transcriptions and all kinds of things. Um, we're always running great deals and special offers, offers and bundles over there. Um, so that's store.yannickguizdala.com. One quick note, one final quick note before we get rolling. Um, we had some equipment issues I was recording remote recording and uh, my poor little lavalier mic decided it was uh, it was the end of the road um, in this session so it's the audio is going to drop a little bit on Tosin's voice about a couple of minutes into the podcast I did my best to 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 kind of work around that and then we're going to have to switch to the room mic thank goodness I had the backup and had the room mic and um, which is not so bad actually because start doing some musical examples and it kind of catches the amp way better um, so yeah just forewarning you of that but uh here we go this is the tosin abassi episode i'm here in los angeles california with tosin abassi guitar player one of the guitar players the guitar. <laughs> the guitar player from animals as leaders i wonder how your bandmates are going to feel about that if they if they never hear this podcast um <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm sitting here in a room full of a lot of gear um, and I bought half of it in with me it feels like um, there are so many things to talk about I, I want to keep it musical um, but you, you're one of the, the the few guys I see that is known for gear but is also supremely musical at the same time I, I feel mm. you know there are people that use gear and that's where it ends you know what I mean and yeah the, the, where it starts and ends it starts and ends exactly yeah, yeah. exactly um, and you know you're using the fractal stuff live right mm-hmm. um, but I see a ton of pedals that you said you know you're in a position now which is kind of nice like some of us are where we tend to pick up a few things here and there by the few. generosity of companies around the world yeah yeah What's, uh, what's piquing your interest right now? Uh, okay, the Strymon Big Sky uh-huh. is something that's been recommended to me from a few players, and it's, it's really cool because it's got about 99 presets that are all really well conceived. Okay. Sometimes you get a piece of gear that does a lot, and, but you've got to end up tweaking what's there to use it, but they really zoned in on some really incredible 
atmospheric reverbs as well as some studio verbs and some slapbacks, like basic reflective stuff. So um, I literally just got it yesterday and I haven't tweaked a single preset and each one of them, it's one of those things that inspires you to play, you know? So that's dope. And then I just got a, a new PRS amp. It's a combo, it's a 50 watt combo called the Sanzera. And uh, you heard me plug it in oh, it like two seconds ago. Yeah, yeah. It does sound really good. And as luck would have it, I was uh, actually setting up the recording uh, equipment as Tosin was plugging in this brand new PRS amp for the first time and checking it out. And I uh, managed to catch this, this little clip of him playing through the amp for the first time. sounding amp. Do you remember life before gear, like as a young guitar player, like not having a bread to go out and buy a ton of stuff or being at an age where you didn't even know what certain stuff was? Do you remember those times? I, I ask because I remember and I still have the first two pedals I ever got. That's amazing. I wish I did. I remember <laughs> DOD pedals. Okay. I would have a few of those. I do remember, I didn't really have much of a community of other guitarists to be like, oh, dude, you got to get this stuff or whatever. So I had a really crappy Strat knockoff. And it was always combo amps that were affordable because my parents didn't make a lot of money. Right. And I didn't really know the scope of gear out there, really. So it was like, electric guitar goes into an amp. Right. Then eventually it was like, whoa, this amp has reverb in it. or, um, But then, yeah, you start to obviously, I mean, this is pre-internet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely pre-internet, pre-YouTube, pre-all this stuff. But you do remember just strings and wood and an amp. Yeah. And the basis of what you do coming from that. Yes. Right? Yeah. And I, a lot of the guys I was listening to, I mean, it was like the heyday of um, alternative rock. So uh -huh. I was just listening to power chords through, you know, whatever, Marshall amp or whatever the case was. Uh, when, yeah, so I actually do, for quite a few years, I didn't use much beyond the amp and sort of the guitar and combo amp sort of thing. Remember the last time you played a gig like that? No. <laughs> I mean, maybe little jams. Sure. You, well, it's like a full circle thing. I mean, you brought like a core amount of pedals, like... Yeah. Three. That you could live with, yeah. And one of them. One of them the is not even it, an effect. Yeah, the only thing it does is make me louder. <laughs> Which we all we, want. We, we really don't need. I don't even know why I plugged it in. I didn't know bassists used clean boosts. Well, they don't, you know. Um, and and my good buddy Bob Reynolds. Every time I play bass with him, and he, I think he calls this um, the the like the dead seal or the 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 a whale in excruciating pain. Oh, hang on a second. See, I don't even have it in the right setting. This is how shitty I am at pedals. Oh, dear. But it's that. I really don't have it dialed. I like it. Whatever that is, the seal call pedal. He always, hey, did you? Oh, the baby elephant. He calls it the baby, baby elephant. elephant. Yeah, the baby elephant. Baby elephant. Baby seagull. Yes, exactly. There's definitely a bird connotation in this. It reminds me of the, the hog pedal, where okay. it yeah. changes your transient and it gives you this, like, I don't know, whistly, chirpy sort of. Uh -huh. That's cool. Yeah, and now, now you, you're switching. You said you were doing some inter more international touring. Yeah, this, this past few months have been heavy on, like, Europe and. 
um, Eastern Europe and is yeah. that a new thing for you going overseas or is, have you been doing that for a while we've done it through the you know seven years we've been touring but there's been lulls where we either didn't go for two years or we just got a new agent so he's busy um, so we just did Russia Poland Israel um, Belarus and then um, before that in July we did seven weeks in mainland Europe like uh, you know like Spain and the UK and all that stuff. You guys, you know, when you're on the road, do you, do you like to stick to like, okay, I can only maximum five shows a week, or do you just have to take them where you where you can? Well, we don't have a singer, so it's like no you real can excuse. Do it. Yeah, no excuse. Huh? But, yeah. but you don't set it. You don't have a thing where you're like, you know, this is my limit. Or I think our drummer is the one who has a physical need to re recover. Right. Uh, but no mental or psychological need to be like, you know what, I need two days off a week. Everyone appreciates a day off. Yeah. But it's usually once every, I mean, dude, there might be three days off in a whole tour. On like a six, six or seven tour. week tour. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. That's, that's doing it. And how are you moving around? In Europe, it's a nightliner. Okay. In the States, we rent a bus. Okay. So we're, we're not like... Not in a van driving yourself. Yes. Which makes it easy. Which we've done... You have the video game option in the lounge. Yeah. yeah. I just like read books. Read books. Oh, there you go. Instead. It's definitely more wholesome than the touring I've done on a nightline. <laughs> yeah. You get to practice a lot on the road? That's a question I get asked all the time. Like, man, how do you practice when you're gone? Like, Not really. Not really. Do, you, I, do you feel like you, do you want to? Like, do you feel like that's something that lacks from your playing or is, are the gigs enough? The gigs are not enough because we're not even really, I mean, at this point, the material is so... F fixed like I'm not improvising on stage everything goes the way it goes right. so it's more of like executing a predetermined thing as opposed to really you know I don't know coming from a new place every night and so yeah there are tour chops we call them where it's like you're pulling off stuff on stage and it sounds right and, and the whole band is dialed in but when I'm here is when I feel like I grow like off the road right there are times I can practice on the road, but it's usually like, can I find a quiet room? Do I want to like grab the gear, set it up? And usually I'm like out sightseeing or exercising or. Yeah. Now um, you stay in shape, obviously. We were talking try, about yeah. Yeah, talking about a back injury, actually, ironically, yeah. as a byproduct of staying in shape. But a lot of musicians don't. Like, how do you? How how are you disciplined on the road to do that? I think what discipline is literally the impetus to repeatedly make yourself do a thing you don't really feel like you don't want to do. And it literally is that, that impulse. There's nothing before it other than the decision to do it. So I don't think there's any magic to it, but I think lifestyle is probably what's more um, the question because if you're used to exercising, a departure from that feels abnormal. So even if you go on the road and you're used to exercising, you're going to find a way to do it because you're like, I don't feel normal. I have to like actually exercise. So that's, that's what we try to do. And I mean, you have other interests besides bass, yeah. which is cool. It's like as musicians, we almost get away with just like being really dedicated to just music. But then I don't know if it's like at a certain age or something, you're kind of like. And that's why I ask, because I know plenty of people at all ages who are still just dedicated to the music and really? don't do that work outside and find it hard to be disciplined on the road. That know? was me. Yeah. Like, but I don't know, maybe we've had the combination of spare time and I guess more than 
more interest. I don't know what the vibe is, but it's like I kind of stumbled into CrossFit, which is like a pretty heavy focus on Olympic weightlifting. And that's a technique. That's like a... So I think maybe there's a part of us as musicians that really responds to this uh, sort of pursuit of like refining a thing you can't do at first, but and then really getting deep into the, the minutia of like, all right, more hip extension and like all these things, you know? Details. Yeah. The minor details. And then we're obsessed with getting like better at that. Uh-huh. So I feel like it's it translates from bass or from guitar into an athletic pursuit as well, you know? How is your vibe when you get off the road? Like obviously on a six or seven week tour through Europe, you are really scheduled. Like yeah. every minute of every day almost. I would imagine if it's anything like I'm exper- I've experienced, it's pretty much accounted for. Mm-hmm. How do you translate that when you come home? Are you still that, do you like to keep a schedule when you come home? You know, it's funny it you say haywire? that. What's that? <laughs> or does it go haywire? It goes haywire because like you said, on tour, there's a kind of a dictated schedule like given to you. Like you gotta hit sound check, you gotta bus call, this is these things that happen. But when I get off the road, I don't have a day job, I don't have, so then I'm just like, I could wake up at 2 p.m. and go to sleep at 6 a.m., like none of it matters. So I yeah. literally have to force myself. I think there are some people who, if they had an abundance of free time, they'd be the most productive people in the world. Then there's right. some people who like only thrive if they're, given structure i i fall in between the good thing is i just end up practicing a ton okay um but and then exercise is the only other so like my crossfit class will take place at a certain point in the day which means i know i have to start my commute and i know that i'll work out for this long and then i'll get food so that's like literally one of the only things that's like on a fixed schedule micro schedule yeah (laughs) it's so low level commitment that's such a common theme. I mean, I've heard stories of country um, singers who are just on the road. They play 300 shows a year. They have done for 40 years. And they have tour buses parked in their driveways. And they go out. They have palatial houses. And they go out and sleep on the tour bus because they're so used to it. They're so used to the schedule, the hum of the engine. Like you got to be kidding me. Totally serious, man. Like, <laughs> I've heard a lot of stories. Oh, like my that. God. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, as humans, like, we adapt to environment and routine and yeah. it's kind of tough for me to go in and out of touring to be honest like seven weeks of one type of living and then you come home to a stationary thing and you're like uh where are all my okay my friends still exist they've just <laughs> gotten used to me not being around i need to reach out to them and all these little things that i think i don't want to say normal people but people who don't travel a bulk of the year we we are really faced with some unique sort of like hurdles what would you say your percentage of the year is on the road is there an average or it changes but percentage is easily i want to say 50 at least 50 i could be wrong but and then there are extreme things on either end of the spectrum where you might tour more one year than another yeah there's been more than 50 percent, and then this past year um up until this point we, we took a whole year off okay um, to write an album and I don't think we intended it to be that long but it, it was that long and it was like it started to get a, I don't want to say weird but I was like I began to be hyper aware of the fact that my lack of day jobness relative to all my other friends I just was like what do I do like how Where do, do I, I fit in yeah <laughs> how do I exist like I just play guitar and then the performances were so far removed that it was almost like 
And then you could go online and like, he was like, wait, I guess I'm like some sort of person. Right. <laughs> like, um, anywho, yeah. No, it's good. Let me when, no, we, I mean, the phone rang. That's kind of a perfect segue into, like, you talk about your friends and you, when you come back, you, you, you come back and they've gotten used to you being gone. You have to reach out and reconnect. Do you remember life before, you know, Facebook, iMessage, FaceTime, Skype and all that stuff? Yes. Yes. Okay. I you, mean, were, you were touring in that time. I, yeah, I just started touring in 2000. One. Oh yeah so pre-youtube pre-facebook yeah and it's pre the iphone or pre, any kind yeah. of smart device i remember the palm trio oh yeah a friend of mine had it he owns a record label now so it <laughs> makes sense that he was an early adopter but i remember looking at him using this thing with a stylus and i was just like this is the most anti-social behavior like he was always on this thing and at this point i didn't even have a cell phone i would just ask to use his if i wanted to call my girlfriend right and we used to tour with you know, we'd print out directions from MapQuest or something oh, like that. Yeah. And bef yeah, and it was. I remember when Wi-Fi was a new thing. Yeah. There's okay. so many like, and I actually really like talking like this because like we're not by any means like super old. Oh, no, not dudes. at all. I, that's it, I marvel at it every day. I'm like I'm not even forty yet, and yeah. I remember life faxes. I remember there being a production office at a venue, which housed a fax machine. Oh yeah. You know because I mean? they needed like. Flight hard info. connections hard connections yeah. and that's where your flight info would come from that was where family and friends would get in touch with you and there was a number and it was on a sheet of paper yes you know and those people at home had to talk to the tour manager's office back in LA or wherever you were from yeah. and people would reach out that way and divorces happened that way and like all Ooh, kinds of things got like got, got a fax from your ex-wife now oh man yeah no um but it really highlights the fact that we're straddling this sort of uh, kind of paradigm shift where we existed as musicians before, you know, couldn't really go on YouTube and just be like modes of harmonic minor and just see countless examples of amazing dudes playing, you know, or explaining the shit to you. How much can you filter that out and, and you know, um, kind of not get over consumed by it? You know, obviously there's an um, unbelievable amount of information out there and you can learn pretty much anything. Like if we wanted to learn how to make croissants right now, we could probably go on YouTube and figure it out. Totally. Vegan croissants. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I the see. same goes for the, you know, the modes of the melodic minor or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. how, how do you sift through that? How does it enhance or detract from your practice routine? Dude, I'll tell you what, like I'm kind of happy it didn't exist when I was first learning. Like I, I would just listen to Nirvana and, and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and I would get Guitar Player Magazine and there'd yeah. be some tab in there. <laughs> now it's like the average beginner is just assaulted with so much information and he can watch a nine-year-old girl in China play a Paul Gilbert song yeah. Flawlessly. <laughs> Better than Paul Gilbert, yeah. probably. <laughs> it's like, I don't think I would have wanted to know that, yeah. like, when I was just starting. And and that's just, like, the whole, that's, like, the competitive sort of energy. But then there's also pure information. Even if you're an autodidact or a self-sort of learning person, there's hyperlink after hyperlink after hyperlink. And you're just, like, 
all of a sudden you're into 12 tone serialistic composition and all you wanted to know was like what Ionian was and <laughs> like so I don't know how kids are handling it now but um, as far as it is effect on me I think I've solidified in my learning process a lot because um, I've been playing for over 20 years so I know how to dip in and dip out and just be like okay like enough is enough. some of its noise yeah. do you teach at all I do, but not Give regularly. Give clinics or master classes and stuff? Yes, yes. And then I've, I'll do lessons on tour. Okay. Um, which is, I've, you know, super Q&A. Like, yeah. And if anyone's taking a lesson from me, I think it's they want to know why I do the things I do, uh-huh. which takes a bit of the edge off because I don't feel like I need to be an encyclopedia of every... Or an expert in every part of yeah. the spectrum. Yeah. Do you, uh, the reason I was asking was... Um, how do you feel like students or young musicians you encounter, how do you feel their ear is? I mean, you talked about sitting there and listening to Nirvana and maybe there was some tab for something in Guitar Play Magazine, mm-hmm. but essentially you listen to records and you learned the information mm-hmm. by ear. Yeah. You know? And now it's being like handed on a silver platter almost by YouTube, like every single detail where people, you know, are not necessarily listening. I don't know if you noticed like... I, yeah, I get what you're asking. Like, is, is it almost a detriment to the... Yeah, can you play... and have a student play it back to you, for instance? I mean, I don't know if I could play that back ah, to you. Yes, you can. I could, but... Uh, it depends on the student, because I think the ability that you're talking about is a quality that students have or they haven't, or they don't have, and they've, yeah. it's always been like that. It's just been... that ability to listen and repeat used to be something that you had to flex because all you had was audio. Uh Now we have video that we can slow down, audio that we could slow down. We have, you know, transcriptions in various forms. So the the simple ability to listen and transcribe is being supplemented by all these other tools. So, but I think the type of player who is really connected to the air always existed and always will exist. It's just now the players who aren't super connected to their ears have other means of arriving at some sort of musical progress. You know okay. what I mean? So you see the end result as actually being fine. Just the process being yeah. really changed. Imagine a singer who's just got a gifted voice right. and something close to perfect pitch. That's just an individual who will always exists or like, you know what I mean? It's like you could go back far, you could go into the future, I yeah. think. But then given where we are now with auto-tune and like all these like vocal techniques have evolved, like given that student they now have these resources to become that much better but i don't know that i'm encountering students who are suffering because of all the tools that exist is, is that kind of what you're asking yeah. like i don't it's hard for me to know how they're learning if they're using their ear or if they're using tab um i mean i say that from a purely from a reactionary standpoint on stage once you actually get into a real situation where you have to react to something like if you're in the middle of a gig there's no video or YouTube explaining what you should do next. So if your reactionary, immediate recognition of something going on is slightly, you know, if you've always relied on a book or a video or a transcription, that's the, 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 the issue I perceive it, it could possibly be. Well, that's really good you bring that up because I was not thinking about that context. Oh, okay, okay. And it highlights how you and I play in different contexts too, where my songs and my band we just do the things like uh-huh. our drummer improvises a lot but i can't depart from my rhythmic phrase there's these super distinct rhythmic phrases that we play sure. he's able to f- improvise around that 
Um, but it's very rare that we're actually organically like changing things together. But you're playing in context where like the song is an organism that's different every time, and it's very done. scarce in terms of information. Normally, that's sick. That's why the personnel really matters. Yeah, yeah. And so you actually really made me think that there might be a distinct difference between what players now will do in that context versus before, because maybe beyond just learning by ear, it's the amount of time you spend playing with other humans. And I've been hearing that, right. like, because we have so many ways to make, make music without other people now, sure. we're making music with less people. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, yeah, that's one of the, like, abstract but super valuable qualities in a musician. Like, how we, like, vibe with other musicians on a nonverbal, yeah. reactionary, like... And, yeah, you're right. I think if you don't practice that, if you never had a garage band, if you never had just hours upon hours of playing with another person, you're not really developing in that way. And also the reason I ask is because when we met, like you just said, we come from very different contextual backgrounds in the way we play music. And I remember you saying, like, yeah, I don't really improvise that much, you know, or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then we made this completely improvised music. Yeah. With Morgan Agron in the studio. It was 100%. There was not a single note of music written or preconceived or anything. And yeah. I was like, well, okay, maybe he thinks he doesn't improvise that much, but obviously you do. Yeah. You know, and obviously you were great at doing it and we had a great time together and it was musically it made sense and we, we, we did something creative. Um, I don't know where I was going with that, but I just well, wanted to get that thought out there. <laughs> well, it might be another generational thing where, like, we're pre computer musicians. Like oh, yeah, absolutely. That was where I was going. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the, um, you either jammed along with some records or you jammed along with people. Absolutely. I, I mean, you couldn't. Both. All processing the time, yeah. wasn't at a point where you could direct record. Yeah use like acoustic samples of a real drum set, have <laughs> compressor plugins, and then upload like, so yeah, I think we've developed like a very, it's almost like a type of language. And I hope that doesn't go to the wayside because I think that's something that will be invaluable in perpetuity, basically. Well, so talk about something, you know, compositionally from your band, for instance, and, and maybe a little bit about your process. Does that start as an improvised thing and you, you create motifs and then you move away from those motifs to develop into different sections is it like compositional improvisation in a sense yes okay well it's like usually all born on the guitar mm -hmm. and i don't know if you do this but like i sit down with the instrument i'll either play something i've played before uh -huh. or i'll just like randomly play something i've never played before okay and sometimes the new thing i've never played before is something that like catches my ear so here we move over to the room sound mic the uh the lav mic finally gave out completely um but we get to playing here which is which is awesome and we get to hear hear tosin talk about and play some ideas some compositional ideas and talk a little bit about his process as a guitar player and as a composer i mean it's hard to say i mean if it's a random inspiration thing i don't really know what happens before then but i think the guitar is always like it's interesting, it's a fixed thing. I mean, I always use the same tunings, like, so nothing is really changing, right? Okay. But sometimes I place my fingers in places. There's a healthy degree of like stab in the dark that I have because I was self-taught for so long. Nice. So I'm not always like, oh, A minor, or like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I'll do things that are kind of experimental as far as 
me not knowing what the sound will be. Yeah. Um, so I'll do things like static voicings, or I think it's called like um, constant structure sometimes. Oh, yeah. Parallel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I'll use pedal tones. So like. Um, so that's a little thing that I started doing in a pattern of five, like. kind of one chord that moves around this sort of I don't know if you want to call it an ostinato but that yeah and from there um I'll become a listener and try to layer stuff um I'll use my phrase sampler okay I was gonna say that's one of the things I do all the time that's how I come up with so much of my composition it's kind of the best way with the loop pedal yeah, I saw a video you did where you had, I think, one note looping. Oh, yeah. And then you impose all this harmony over the, the, like a pedal tone, basically. Sure. And ironically, that's the one pedal I didn't bring on. That's oh. my, my best one. But Do you want me to play the note? Oh, yeah. Play any Is it note. E? You can play anything you like. C, E, I don't, I don't, what do you have? Uh, I'll do G. G? so into reharm and uh, and just you know just finding every note like that was one of the early exercises I think just having an ostinato and, and walking a chromatic bass line down um, uh, wow so just ostinato C and E flat and then walk up and just walk a chromatic bass line down from C to C. Sounds like music. But then, and then putting harmony in between. Ah. Uh, uh, so sort of three notes, like shell voicing. Yeah. Ooh. That's sick. trying to create little exercises like that too. see it's funny because as a bass player I don't always think of you as a like a chordal instrument but I feel like that is something that most guitar players couldn't do depending on the guitarist not that they couldn't do I, know, I get most of my stuff from guitar players so. okay so I think I'm looking in the wrong places but um, I don't know I mean you're a, you're a Berkeley guy or did you uh, go to the very briefly really enough to be called a Berkeley guy but not enough to hopefully and not enough to sound like one is that um, a bad thing? I, 
You know what? As a bass player, not so much. I think as a guitar player, it's because just because of the sheer number of guitar players there are there. It's like quite a factory, and it's like a very specific method. And oh, a lot okay. of people go there for like kind of one thing. At least when I was there, you know, it was like fifteen hundred gets three thousand total students, and half of them were guitar players, and they all wanted to play in Sepultura or like they just want to play hard rock or metal that really was it. so it was like <laughs> oh yeah I think now it's definitely moving to fusion and straight ahead yeah there were definitely like the little fusion crowd and the hollow body you know Ibanez guys that wanted to play like Pat Metheny or Joe Pass or whoever but yeah there's a, a lot of metal guys a lot of people who didn't shower from one week to the next oh that's a nice little or wash their hair you know like <laughs> Jeez, yeah, I think it's different now. Although there's a lot of progressive metal fans there now, it's just come a long way since Sepultura. And I don't think it was really progressive so much when I was yeah. there. At least not my experience of it, because otherwise I'd been, whoa, that's cool, like right, that's intellectually challenging and is creatively stimulating. Like I would have been really into playing that, you know. It was just um, metal. It's kind of metal, yeah. You know? Um, and it wasn't even like a, a Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young crowd or something like playing country tunes like because I would have dug that as well like songs you know I, yeah, I like songs, yeah. But yeah. and I heard it's a lot harder to get into now like back then you either got a scholarship or you have money and off you go and now they like turn a lot of people away so really? I think it's actually kind of cool you know quality control yeah did you, go to, did you go to school for music? I did one year of study at the Atlanta Institute of Music okay. are you from Atlanta? Is that what you I'm from DC oh you're from DC okay. but I moved to Atlanta because of the school. It's kind of like an MI style. Um, it's not a degree program. Okay. So you don't have to take core curriculum cl classes. Yeah. And it's geared towards like contemporary music. And it's like, they want you to gig. So they, they give you the tools they think you need to really get a, like a, a real gig. Well, that's kind of um, cool. Yeah, it was good. Uh, Jimmy Herring is one of the founders and he's an oh. amazing player. Yeah. Um, and this was when the jam band thing was really huge. And I was coming from like a progressive metal band, and I was yeah. just like, I hadn't, I didn't really improvise, and I didn't really think about like harmony in the same way. But it gave me a lot of really what I consider foundational. Like I didn't really get super deep into harmony, but I understand like intervals and chord construction, and um, you know, just things that I think. The, are the equivalent of literacy. Yeah. Like we all speak to each other and even if we didn't read or write, we could still orally communicate ideas. Basic vocabulary. Yeah. Yes. Fundamentals. But you cr gain a command of communication and expression when you get deeper into what goes behind it. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Talk a little about, bit about what you think about when you play. I get, I get so many questions about, oh, what modes do you think about? Like what, mm. the, are you thinking about the song? Are you thinking about the chord, the line? Like for me, it's repetition or change. Those are the only two things I think about. Meaning in your phrases, like yeah. either. I mean, if I'm improvising, yeah, you know, it's just do I need to play this more because it's interesting? I can get more out of it, or is it too old? Uh, and do I need to change to go to a new thing? Like, what's yeah. what's is there a thought process for you when it, you're playing? Yeah, it's. I try to emote right, so like, mm -hmm. but improvisation isn't the bulk of what I do. But lately, it has been right. So, I mean, I guess. There's some really simple tools I use. Uh, may I just loop a chord or something? Absolutely, yeah. Let's do it. Okay. 
So this is kind of like a A minor 11 sort of guy, right? Yep. So I, the first thing I would do is define the quality of the chord. If it's minor and if I can get away with Dorian, I'm going to go with Dorian because okay. I like... do is um, zone in on intervals that I think are colorful, right? So the sixes and the nine. And then I've really gotten into leaving stepwise motion behind if I can and just playing like arpeggio bass lines. Um, diatonic harmony, relative major, stuff like that. And then um, I like sequencing stuff, um, or even... Notice you're using alternate picking on the right hand, so you're using your middle finger as well as the pick. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, hybrid picking. Hybrid picking, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Just to access. Um, I got this book by a Berkeley professor called um, Gustavo Aziz Brazil, and it's all hybrid picking lines, and he does a really good. Interbackly playing, but it's like uh, octave displacement. And yeah, stuff like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like. Just so there's a process you, that you have a way to approach it. And... Yeah, but it's interesting because when I was learning how to superimpose maybe a major triad against a minor chord, uh -huh. or learning that I could play a pentatonic off the fifth of a minor chord, yeah. you know yeah. these these little formulas. So like. I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. My school was big on these formulas, right? Okay. So they're like, given a certain chord, you can get away with these things, okay. and these things help you to sound like you're not just like starting on the root of the, you know, obvious scale. And right. so, but you're asking about thought process, and I think it's interesting because when I first was learning this stuff, it was like I would go to improvise, and I'm like, okay, I can use I can use B minor here. Okay, now I can do this, and like my phrasing, I just couldn't phrase right. because of all the options, right? So too I think many, it's too many links in the chain of thought, right? Yeah. Especially if you want to sound hip and you want to sound like you you're learning or applying stuff. Yeah, yeah. So then there needs to be like this weird internalization crystallization process to where 
you've got the sound of those superimpositions mm -hmm. and you don't consciously have to tell yourself to do it. You just happen to know when you're playing off of a certain interval and right. that's going to give this the Lydian sound or whatever right. the case is. Um, that's why I think it's interesting when you said you're either going to just hang on something that's worth repeating or you're going to try something new. Because yeah. that speaks to the fact that you're post, you're post all these other concepts that you're just like either deciding to like hang on a concept or yeah. choose from your grab bag of other new or other possibilities right. when the the intermediate to beginning player might be like he would hope to find something he that worth repeating because <laughs> he's like <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah he's not just like you, at yeah. the luxury of like this wealth of crystallized like yeah i guess everyone has a has a finite amount of vocabulary some more some more full than others i mean it's yeah. Not, it's not like you use the word cobalt or asphalt or fur every day, you know, but they're back there somewhere if you've read a book or watched a movie. Mm -hmm. You know, I always try and explain it like that when I'm doing clinics or whatever. I think that's the perfect analogy. You know, so, what do you do to expand your vocabulary? Do you transcribe or do you? Transcribe massive amounts of material. Really? I, I always have done, yeah. I mean, it helps a lot. Back when I had time, it was complete solos because I also wanted to look at the arc and the shape and the comping versus the melodic playing and all that yeah, stuff. I'm now, too for all that. now it's like I might have time for five notes that stick out of a solo and be like, oh wow, that's awesome. Oh, you know, really? Some lick or something, some line. I'm like, oh, let me check that out for a month, you know? <laughs> and you just try to use your word of the day. And then try and develop it as much as possible, you know, like move that shape around and try and make as much out of it that's my own and get yeah. as far away from the original idea as possible. Otherwise, then I end up sounding like X, Y, or Z. Whoever yeah. I, from. I mean, already I'm too much Pat in my playing, you know, like too much Matheny. Really? <laughs> yeah, okay. You know, like, I don't ever, yeah. I don't ever play that. Like, I've never played that in my life because that's like his big climactic kind of thing. But, Interesting. you know, you put on the. And all the. Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, his little glissandos and all that kind of totally. stuff. Totally. A little too much in my playing, especially with that pedal. But kind of taken that and been like you know what there's worse people to emulate i really like it and you're not a guitar you're exactly. not like a guitarist exactly um yeah i've i think out of laziness just never been good at transcribing other people's stuff note for note and sounding just like it was there a guitar player or a musician that you were so far into that you were like holy crap i have to get away from this you know, for me, it was Jacob Astorius. It was like the greatest thing that ever happened to me mm. for the bass, like listening to that and just so inspired. And then like, wow, if I don't get away from this, I'm going to sound like every other bass player that sounds like Jacob, you know? Like, yeah. Was uh, there one person or kind of a genre of people there, that you were like... There have been super impactful players. Like, Ingve yeah. Malmsteen was the first time I heard speed and accuracy. Shredding. Like, yeah. And I think the fact that it was like so classically related it just there's so much stepwise motion and like you don't have to phrase in the same way with certain scales have you noticed yeah, that oh, yeah. you can just get away with playing the actual scale um, that's why the thing you were asking me about the the, the triad inversions thing before we start recording yeah, yeah. that's why I'm so way into that yeah because yeah, it's It's 
composed music. It sounds like composed music. Exactly. You know? But it's improvising, you know, within a structure. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Really easy to be melodic and be musical with that. Sounds, sounds really good on the bass as well. Yeah. Um, so Ingve blew my mind. I spent a lot of time just trying to emulate that. But my music didn't necessarily sound... I mean, the harmonic minor scale is great, but it's such a specific flavor. <laughs> yeah. And then Steve Vai is someone that... I think Passion and Warfare, when I heard that, I was like, whoa, this is just vocal guitar playing. Yes. This is so cool. All the bits in between, the frets mm-hmm. and the phrasing and the yeah. tremolo bar. And it was, I mean, it's rooted in rock, but it was pretty adventurous. And oh, yeah. So anyway, that affected me a lot too, but I didn't really try to sound like Vi. Right. Um, it was just inspiring to go and search yeah. out your own thing. Yeah, so I don't think I was one of those cats who's like, dude, I got to sound like Stevie Ray Vaughan. You know, like, Boy, there are a lot of those, huh? <laughs> I, dude, I commend players who, who do those um, impersonations <laughs> really well. Wow, yeah. It's like kind of cool how you can pick up the idiosyncrasies of like another player like that. Like, yeah. That stuff, that, like, those details were always lost on me. Okay. Some players, it's like, damn, he sounds just like Jaco Bastori. So right. like, you know what I mean? So anyway, I I guess that's to my benefit because it forced me to just sound like me. Right. If even if I wanted to sound like other people, I always came up short, and then it just I could pass it off as like. Now you've been doing these G three G four tours recently, right? I did. With yeah, Steve I did a G four camp, and then we did a like a a G three type tour. Okay. With, with but with Vi and Satriani, I think yeah, I read. Yeah, the camp was with Satch and Guthrie Govin. Oh yeah. Whew. And then um, the tour was Zach Wilde. Uh, Ingve Malmsteen, Steve I, Nuno Bencourt, and me. And they asked me to do it, and I was just like, I was almost, I was almost not going to do it. Wow. Just because I, yeah, the Guitar Hero thing started to just, that year we took off, I started to be like, why do I got to like play all fast? Right, 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 right. <laughs> but you're such a, a, a contrast to those guys, like in yeah. style and like in sound. I, I would have thought that, I haven't heard it yet, I want to check it out, but I would have thought that would have been an awesome addition to that thing which is kind of some of those tours have been a little shreddy and like monosyllabic in their style i would have thought you'd have been a great compliment to that thanks yeah i think that was the idea was to show different slices of guitar playing and i was the new guy on the block who was inspired by the guys who were already on the tour yeah when you're about to head out on the road i mean this is what we were talking about just now off mic uh Kind of made me curious like how much directed practice do you feel you need to do to get ready for a tour like that is it like, um like an animals as leaders tour oh yeah i'm a pretty uh like i dropped out of high school uh-huh. i'm a pretty <laughs> like the things that i prioritize i will put energy into but then at this point the band is like kind of like i want to say it's like a job but it's like and I don't want to say I'll do the bare minimum but i'll probably do the bare minimum <laughs> like we'll rehearse as a band maybe once Wow, that's it. Huh? Maybe twice, yeah. I mean, I just, some of the material is quite old, and it's just like re, you know, like just, you know, just getting it back under your, your hands. So after a sound check in Germany or something, you're good to roll. We've done that. We've done a few festival gigs this year where we didn't rehearse, and we just went and played. Is everyone based in LA? Yes. Okay. Um, well, that helps. But this new this new tour has got new material from a new album, which we've never played as a band. So I'm gonna have to put in work just to play the songs all the way through, sort of thing. But uh, normally it's like. Yeah, I really spend the bulk of my time trying to evolve as a musician, and then Animals as Leaders is where I put that evolution. Yeah. And but then that stays fixed. Okay. So I don't really prepare that much. Yeah, it's weird. Good to know. 
Um, is the new album out yet? No. Release um, date possible? Yeah, November 11th. November 11th. You yeah. heard it here first. Tosinabasi.com. Um, animals is it's we animalsisleaders.org. Okay. And then we have Facebook, Animals as Leaders. Okay. Yeah. And you have Instagram where I have Instagram, Instagram. Okay. And then Animals as Leaders has a Awesome. So go ahead and follow and uh, and check everything out. I'm going to post a little video from this session on Instagram, which yeah, I'll, I'll do the we'll, same. We'll do the same thing. Um, Tosin Abassi, awesome man. Thank you. It's good to see you after all this time. Yeah, it's been a minute. And great to play with you. And see uh, you on the internet. And yeah, I know, right? <laughs> oh boy. Okay, you've been listening to the Yannick Guizdala podcast. So thanks for listening to this episode of the Yannick Guizdala podcast. Don't forget if you're listening on iTunes and you're subscribed to the podcast um, and you have a couple of seconds, go drop us a review, uh, give us a rating that really helps put the word out there and spread the word about the podcast and it helps us to create great free content for you guys moving forward in the future. Um, Lots more guests, lots more playing, lots more different instrumentalists and singers and all kinds of uh, of, of fun things coming up over the the coming weeks and months. Um, So yeah, I'm Yannick Gwistala and this is the Yannick Gwistala.